Genesis chapter number 5, beginning at verse 18. And Jared lived an hundred and sixty and two years and begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch eight hundred years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Interesting passage of scripture. We're introduced to a very obscure character in scripture. There are a lot of characters in scripture we know a lot more about than we do this fellow by the name of Enoch. There are many of you who know a lot about Abraham because a lot of the book of Genesis is about his life and times. We know a lot about Moses because of the Exodus story is a lot about him. We know a lot about many of the major prophets because of their writings, especially like Isaiah and Jeremiah. We know a lot about a lot of New Testament characters because the Bible says a lot about them. But when it comes to this character by the name of Enoch, not only are there only seven verses here in the Old Testament that talk about his whole 365 years on the face of this earth, but there's only three other verses that even allude or mention him, and those three are in the New Testament. So 10 verses of Scripture summarize the 365 years he was on the face of this earth. Seven verses here, one verse in the New Testament, is in Luke chapter 3 verse 37 when he's included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That only leaves us two other verses of scripture about Enoch. I'll get to those in just a little bit. I would like to entitle this message the epitaph or the obituary of Enoch. The only problem is an epitaph or an obituary is something that is either etched on a tombstone of a dead person or written up in the paper about a dead person. And the problem is Enoch didn't die. So this is not his epitaph and it's not his obituary. You say, Brother George, what do you mean he didn't die? (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. You're still asking good questions. You keep it up. If you were to go back through chapter 5 here, and if you were to read in verse number 5, the last three verses it says about Adam was, and he died. If you look at verse number 8, the last three verses it says about Seth was, and he died. If you look at verse 11, the last three words it says about him was, and he died. If you look at verse 14, the last three words about Cainan was, and he died. If you look at verse 17, the last three words that said about him about Mahalalel was and he died. If you look at verse 20 the last three words that said about Jared was and he died. But you won't read those three words in connection with Enoch. He didn't die. In fact in verse 24 it said and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. That means at one moment he was a very real living breathing human being on the face of this earth that one moment he's here and the next moment God just takes him on the glory I can't figure that out I cannot comprehend that I just believe God's word in fact in its life even though there's not a whole lot said about it What is said about his life speaks volumes. In fact, there are three great events in the word of God that Enoch's life either portrays or prophesies about. His translation is a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church. That moment we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, for the Lord himself 
himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangels and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If the Lord can get Enoch out of here without going by way of the grave, if he can get Elijah out of here with a chariot of fire, listen, I'm just listening for the first sound of the trumpet and this short fat boy is heading out of here. I won't need Nike Air Jordan tennis shoes. I won't need a trampoline. I won't need an airplane. All I'll need is plain air and I'm heading out of here. I'll leave the details up to the Lord. If he can get Enoch out of here, he can get us out of here. Amen. And so his translation is a portrait of the rapture of the church. But there are two other great events that Enoch's life either portrays or prophesies about. And if I don't forget about it, I'll share them with you in just a little bit. But of all of the things that said about Enoch, and I don't know about you, but I've gone, I've walked through a lot of cemeteries. And when I do, I read what's written or etched on those tombstones. And it's rather amazing and interesting what people will have on etched on their tombstone or what their relatives etch on those tombstones, maybe without them knowing it. There's a lot of funny things that are etched on tombstones. In fact, not too far from here, in a cemetery in Oak Hill, Ohio, in a small cemetery, you can find these words on a tombstone. I told you I was sick. Some of you get that on the way home. If you were to go to Arlington Cemetery in Virginia, you would find etched on a tombstone these words. Here lies in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. That's etched on the tomb of the unknown soldier. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the fellow by the name of Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was known as the man of a thousand voices. If you were a Looney Tunes uh, addict like I was growing up, you know all about Mel Blanc, or at least his voices. He was the voice of Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Sylvester, Tweety, uh, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn Leghorn. Uh, uh, some of you young people have been cheated when it comes to cartoons. If you haven't seen Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers cartoons, you have been cheated, young people. They don't make them like they used to. I mean, after all, what in the world is a, a SpongeBob SquarePants? They need to bring back Yosemite Sam and Foghorn Leghorn and Bugs Bunny, amen? Amen. But when it comes, you may not believe this, or some of you be able to guess this, what is etched on Mel Blanc's tombstone just simply says, that's all, folks. <laughs> you would have to watch the cartoons to understand that. If Enoch had died, what would have been said about him in 365 years? There's four words that are said about Enoch that I think that if, any, if nothing else more is said of us than what was said about Enoch, it would be all right. What was said of Enoch was simply this. He walked with God. He walked with God. I want to ask you a question this morning. What would be said about you if this were your last day on the face of this earth? Now, I didn't say what would you want to be said, because that might be entirely different. But what would actually be said of you? Could it be said of you that you walked with God? And when I consider Enoch's life, 
And I consider that he walked with God in such a way that one moment he's here on the face of this earth and the next moment people are looking for him and he couldn't be found because God just took him on to glory. I want to learn something from Enoch because if Enoch can walk with God in such a way that that happens, Brother Brian, I'm convinced that we can walk with God in such a way as that. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, how did Enoch walk with God? Because I want to walk with God like that. So let's look for the next few minutes and let's see if we can discover exactly how Enoch walked with God. The first thing I want to share with you is, and you're going to have to pay real close attention and listen very intently because what I'm about to say is going to be so theologically deep and profound that if you're not careful, it would just go right over top your head. I'm just kidding. But if you're going to walk with God like Enoch walked with God, are you ready for this? You'll have to walk with God by faith. You'll have to walk with God by faith. You say, Brother George, now what makes you think that Enoch was walking with God by faith? We read these seven verses that talk about his life. And in those seven verses in Genesis chapter five, it does not say anything about Enoch's faith in God. I agree with you. But remember, I told you that there are three verses in the New Testament that talk about Enoch. One of them is Luke 3.37. We already alluded to that. But guess where one of the other ones is? In the faith chapter of the Bible, in Hebrews chapter number 11, look with me at verses 5 and 6. In Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, it said, by faith... Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 5, Let's us know that Enoch walked with God by faith. He walked with God in such a way that he had this testimony that it pleased God. Is that your testimony this morning? Can it be said of you that you're walking with God in such a way that it's pleasing to God? You say, Brother George, where do you, where do you suppose that Enoch got his faith from? I believe that Enoch got his faith from where we need to get our faith from as well. In the book of Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says this, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to increase in your faith this morning, you've got to increase in your diet of the word of God. I'm convinced that we are anemic in our faith because we're anorexic in the word. Some of you didn't get that. Let me repeat it. We are anemic in our faith because we're anorexic in the word. Many of our pulpits today have turned into nothing more than a book review of some man's book when we need to get back to reviewing the book because it's the book that is going to help increase our faith. You say, now, Brother George, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, are you suggesting that Enoch got his faith by the word of God? Watch my head. I'm suggesting that. Say, but Brother George, this is Genesis chapter 5. How much word of God could there have possibly been in Enoch's day? I don't know. But I just know enough to take God at his word. 
and a faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And if Hebrews 11, 5 says that by faith, Enoch was translated, he got faith somewhere, amen? However, for those of you that may be skeptical and critical that you don't think that there was any written revealed word of God by Enoch's day, seven generations from Adam, then I will share with you that there's good evidence that there was. But if you're right and I'm wrong, then let me just add this. The word of God ought to be our primary source of faith, but it's not our only source of faith. There's a lot of things that contribute to us having faith in God. I remember when I was 12 years old, not because I have a good memory, just wasn't that long ago, but I remember as a 12-year-old new convert, as I gave my heart to the Lord, I don't know that at that time I could have even quoted John 3.16. And there's some folks that only think that's a sign you hold up in an end zone at a football game. Not that they know what it means or what it says. But I remember as a young convert, I didn't know much about the word of God at all. But I was learning. But one thing that increased my faith in those early days, even though I didn't know much about the word of God, is that in those days, people would get up in their services and testify. And they would tell what God had done for them. Somebody would testify how the Lord had saved them from specific sins. Some would tell how the Lord had delivered them from addictive behaviors. Some would tell how the Lord had provided their needs. Some would testify how the Lord had had healed their body. And as a young convert, I started having faith in God from what I'd heard about God. And some of you don't know much about God's word, but you've heard the testimony of others that you have thought, oh, if God can do that for them, do you suppose he can do that for me? I believe that I don't, even though I don't know how much word of God was accessible to Enoch in that day, I believe that Enoch had faith in God from what he'd heard about God. You say, no, Brother George, what do you think Enoch had heard about God? I'm glad you brought that up since you did. I know that there may be some of you here this morning that are note takers. And and that's a good thing. If you're a note taker and you got a pencil and paper, I, I want you to help me out here for just a moment. We're going to do a simple addition problem. Now, don't get scared off. I'm not doing the Carmen Core garbage, okay? I'm going back to the old school edition, all right? But I want you to help me out with this. Go back with me to Genesis chapter five and look with me at verse number three. In verse number three, it says that Adam was 130 when he begot Seth. Would you write down 130, please? Now go down to verse six. In verse six, it says that Seth was 105 when he begot Enos. So write down 105. Now go down to verse nine. In verse nine, it says that Enos was 90 when he begot Cainan. So write down 90. In verse 12, it says that Cainan was 70 when he begot Mahalalel. Now go down to verse 15. In verse 15, it says that Mahalalel was 65 when he begot Jared. And then in verse 18, it says that Jared was 162 when he begot Enoch. You ought to have six figures. 130 plus 105 plus 90 plus 70 plus 65 plus 162. Add that up. It ought to come up to 622. If it doesn't, you got the wrong total. That 622 may seem insignificant, but what that tells us is that would have been the age of Adam when Enoch was born. 
Adam would have been 622 years old. If you look at verse 5, we know that Adam lived to be 930 years old. That means, Pastor, that for 308 years, Adam and Enoch were on the face of this earth at the same time. For 308 years, Adam and Enoch were on the face of this earth at the same time. In fact, Adam was Enoch's great, 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 great grandfather. I don't know what that means to you. We got any grandpas here? Grandpas are known for telling their stories. And don't tell the grandkids, but some of those may be exaggerated. But grandpas are notorious for telling their stories. Can you imagine the stories that Adam could have told little Enoch? Little Enoch, let me tell you what it's like walking with God. Let me tell you what it was like being in the garden before sin came into it. Little Enoch, let me tell you about the wonders of what God had done. I can imagine, I can just envision that Adam and Enoch may be taking a stroll one day and they're walking along this hillside and they look overlooking this beautiful garden that is guarded by angels with a flaming sword. Adam could have said, little Enoch, you see that beautiful garden down there? Oh yes, great, 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 great grandfather Adam. It's a beautiful place. That would be a beautiful place to live. Oh yes, Enoch, your great, 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 great grandmother Eve and I used to live there. What happened, grandpa? She ate us out of house and home. (laughs) That sounds like a grandpa story, don't it? You see, I'm convinced that Enoch had faith in God from what he'd heard about God. Just like some of you this morning. But I don't believe that that was his only source of faith. And for those of you that may be skeptical, that there would have been any written revealed word of God by Enoch's day, what we have is we have evidence and proof that apparently Enoch was one of the very first prophets of God himself. In fact, there are some prophecies of Enoch recorded in the word of God. Remember I told you that there are 10 verses that talk about Enoch, seven of them in the Old Testament Luke 3.37, Hebrews 11.5. There's one more verse of scripture in the New Testament references Enoch. It's found in the book of Jude. Turn with me, if you will, in Jude, verse number 14. Don't ask me which chapter, pick any of them, it'll work. The book of Jude, verse number 14, here's what it says. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam... So we know we got the right Enoch. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. You know what Jude is telling us? That Enoch was a prophet of God and one of his prophecies is that he was prophesying about the second coming of the Lord. There's coming a day when the Lord comes back with 10,000 of his saints. Now do not confuse that with the rapture. The rapture and the second coming are not the same event. And Enoch's life portrays the rapture where we're taken up to meet the Lord in the air. But in the second coming, we're coming back with the Lord. He'll set foot on this earth and we'll be declared King of kings and Lord of lords. We'll come back with him. That's that second great event. His life portrays, the, the tra- his translation portrays the rapture, but he prophesied about the second coming of the Lord. You see, if Enoch is a prophet of God and he records the word of God, not only did he have faith from what he'd heard about God, but he had faith in what he'd heard from God. There is evidence that the word of God was being revealed in Enoch's day and it was being revealed to him personally. If you're going to walk with God, 
Like Enoch walked with God, you'll have to walk with God by faith. And Enoch walked with God. There's something else about Enoch's walk. Not only did Enoch walk with God by faith, but Enoch walked with God in sweet fellowship. Are you walking with God in sweet fellowship this morning? Now listen, listen, there's some folks, not the ones you're thinking of, but others. They somehow got the notion that when people sin, they don't lose out with God, they just lose their fellowship. Listen to me, sin has always separated us from God. If you don't believe that, ask Adam and Eve. Yes, it does wreak havoc on our fellowship with God. But I'm glad this morning that we can walk with God in sweet fellowship. In fact, John the Apostle shared with us in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, if, it's conditional, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what I learned in school, among other things? If the positive of something is true, the negative is also true. So in this verse, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. It is equally correct and accurate to say, if we don't walk in the light as he is in the light, we don't have fellowship with him. And that means if you want to walk with God like Enoch walked with God, you have to walk with God by faith, but you also have to walk with God in fellowship. That means that I need to walk in agreement with God's word. I need to live and walk in what God's word says yes to, I say yes to. What God's word says no to, I say no to. What God's word says I to do or should not do that's what governs my life it's not about what is politically correct it's about what's biblically correct amen brother George the book of Amos gives us a rhetorical question in Amos chapter 3 verse number 3 he said this can two walk together except they be agreed. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to walk in agreement with God. And we've got some folks in our churches who are professing to be walking with God, but their life is evident that they're not walking in agreement with what God's word says. If Pastor Brian and I decide that we're going to walk, take a walk together, and we'd have to get that walk in fast today. But if we're going, if we say we're going to take a walk on Route 139 together, and if we're together when we leave this parking lot, and when we get to Route 139, if he goes to the right and I go to the left, or vice versa, there's going to be a while I'm hearing impaired and we won't have to walk away from one another very long to where his voice will no longer be sounding in my ear. I need some help visually. If we continue to walk different directions, it won't be long till he's no longer evident in my sight. I've heard people say this, I hope no one down here, but up our way, I've actually heard people make this statement, a testimony in a church service. Well, bless God, I've not always walked with him, but he's always walked with me. Watch my head, it can't happen. Somebody cannot walk with you if you don't walk with them. Somebody's fooling themselves. And so we're instructed, if we want that fellowship with God, if we want to walk with God 
like Enoch walked with God. We need to walk in that fellowship. And that fellowship comes by walking. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Say, Brother George, where do I get that light? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to know how to walk, if you want to know where to walk, if you want to see how to walk and where to walk, there's the light. Thank God. You say that, that sounds so simple. Why does it seem to be so difficult for people to walk in the light of God's word? I'll tell you why. Go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, most of you have verse 16 down pretty good. Let's just start right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know why the world hates the church today? You know why the world hates the gospel or the word of God being proclaimed? Because it sheds light on their ungodly deeds and they don't like being exposed. We're going to walk with God like Enoch walked with God. We need to walk with God by faith. The prophet Habakkuk said in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just shall live by his faith. In Romans chapter 1 verse 17, Paul said the just shall live by faith. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, Paul again said the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the Hebrew writer said, the just shall live by faith. I'm convinced whether it was in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, or whether it's in 2022, we need to walk and live by faith. But we also need to walk in that fellowship with God. That means I walk in his light. I live and I walk what he says yes to, and what he says no to, I don't do. Amen? And as long as we do that, there is that sweet fellowship. And the moment we start walking contrary to the light, the longer we walk against that light, the darker things become. There will come a point in our experience where his voice doesn't sound as keen as our ear. There'll come a point in our experience where we don't see him as evident in our lives as we used to see him. That's a good indication. We need to get back to the light of God's word. Enoch walked by faith and Enoch walked in fellowship. Let me share one more thing with you this morning. I'm convinced that if we're going to walk with God like Enoch walked with God, and another good example that we learn from Enoch is that Enoch walked with God in faithfulness. Enoch walked with God in faithfulness. What we find in the few verses that's recorded about Enoch in these seven verses in Genesis 5 is that he walked with God 300 years even after his first child was born. He continued to walk with God. Enoch had a job. Enoch had children. Enoch had a family. Enoch had other responsibilities and obligations, but he did not use those things as an excuse not to walk with God. Young people, listen to me. I know it's a busy time. I know you've got school things. 
I know you young families that there's a lot of stuff going on with your kids and you got work to keep going and you got a home life to keep going and you got activities with the kids, but that is not an excuse for us to not walk with God like we ought to walk with God. For 300 years, even after Enoch's first child was born, he continued to walk faithfully with God. If they would have had perfect attendance pens for Sunday school in that day, can you imagine the string of pens Enoch would have had? He was faithful. He was faithful. You say, what do you think really was the key to his faithfulness. Now I'm reminded, and the Lohr family, I got to see them earlier this week in a less pleasant atmosphere as we were sharing at a funeral of a dear friend of ours that was killed in that tragic wreck in the pileup there in Winchester, Kentucky. As I'd preached about faithfulness, Brother Norman, and I'd shared a lot of things about from God's word. And that's one of the things that's really lacking in the church world today is faithfulness among God's people. I reminded them in that funeral service of what the Lord had told the Smyrna church in Revelation chapter two, verse number 10. The Smyrna church along with the Philadelphia church were the only two churches of Asia Minor that only had words of commendation and no words of condemnation from the Lord. And the Smyrna church by their very name, the root word for Smyrna was myrrh. It lets us know that it was a church that was under persecution and tribulation. But here's what the Lord said to them, be thou faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Folks, we gotta finish this thing. The sad testimony for too many churchgoers is they're not finishing very well. We gotta stay at it. I don't know how long any of us have. In addition to preaching a funeral to one, one of my good friends, after that funeral, I had three friends since then, this week, that passed away because of COVID. And some of them were my own age. And I thought, oh, we don't have any guarantee. And I know this church and I know this pastoral team has preached far more funerals in the last couple years. It is heartrending. But one of the things that is very certain when you take that walk in the cemetery and you read the tombstones, there are different birth dates and there are different death dates. But one thing we all have in common is that dash in the middle. And sometimes we do funerals funerals for people who are in their 90s. Sometimes we do funerals when the casket is no bigger than this. You say, Brother George, how can you account to that? I'll tell you what happens. None of us know how long we're going to be on the face of this earth. We have started a journey and a race that we've got to finish. We don't know how many laps any of us have. We just have to keep running it until our last lap. In first Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 Paul said know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize so run that you may obtain that alarmed me because I knew that I was not always the fastest runner on the track or the court or the field and I thought if somebody outruns me does that mean I can't make it absolutely not I don't have to run your race and you don't have to run mine. We've got to finish our own race. And when I do the funeral for somebody that's in their 90s, it is obvious that the Lord called them to run a race that is more like a marathon. And when I do a funeral and the casket is only this big, it is obvious that race was a quick sprint. We don't know. And neither did Enoch know. But God had given him a hint. And God has given us a hint. Hebrews 9, 27 said, As it is appointed unto men once to die. After this, 
the judgment. Don't you listen to some Hollywood celebrities that want to tell you we get another go around at this or that we can come back as some other life form and, and keep coming back as something else until we get it right. No, you got one shot at it and it's right now. Today could be the last lap for somebody. Are you walking with God as faithfully right now as you would want to be walking with him should this be your last day on the face of this earth? Say, what do you mean? God had given Enoch a hint. Oh, yeah. Remember I told you that Enoch's life either portrays or prophesies three great events in the word of God? His translation is a portrait of the rapture. According to Jude, he prophesied about the second coming of the Lord. But we also know that there was another prophecy that Enoch made in his lifetime. Say, Brother George, where is it? We've already looked at all the verses that reference Enoch. We looked at, at the seven verses in Genesis 5. We looked at Luke 3.37. We looked at Hebrews 11.5. We looked at Jude 14. Now you're telling me that he made another prophecy? Yes, he made another prophecy, but we already read it. We've just overlooked it. Go back with me to chapter Genesis 5, verse 21. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, it said, And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begot Methuselah. It's right there. It was in the naming of Methuselah. You see, when Enoch's wife was expecting their child, they didn't run down the Walmart and get a baby book and said popular name for whatever year it was. There are some of you, I can almost tell what decade you were born in by the name you have. There are certain names that are popular in some decades and, and there are some names that are no longer, people aren't being called those names anymore. They're not popular anymore. But that's not why Enoch named his son Methuselah. There's a reason. Because the name Methuselah the short definition means this, a javelin or dart. Like someone, like an Olympian that would throw the javelin and hit its intended target. But the unabridged definition of Methuselah means this, when he is gone, it will be sent. When he is gone, it will be sent. So what God was telling Enoch and what Enoch was telling the world. And for those of you that would say, well, Brother George, it would be easy to walk with God in Enoch's day because, I mean, look, you, know, you don't understand how evil it is around where I live. You don't know the ungodly environment that I live in. You don't know all of that stuff. No, I don't. But here's the sad testimony of mankind. Things had already gotten bad enough by seven generations from Adam that God was so disgusted with the sin in the world, he'd already determined he was going to destroy the world with the flood. Enoch's naming of Methuselah was a prophecy to the world. Watch this young boy, because God has said, when he dies, judgment is coming. When he's gone, it will be sent. Can you imagine when Methuselah got his first cold? Can you imagine if he'd had some kind of childhood sickness to where he got a fever? Enoch and everybody else would have been going around, you better get right with God, judgment's about to come. But I tell you what, not only do we see the justice and holiness of God, but we also see the mercy and grace of God. Because even though God had already determined he was going to destroy the world because of sin, he continued to extend grace and offer mercy. It is not a coincidence 
that Methuselah lived longer than anybody on the face of this earth. One year went by, God was merciful. Another year went by, God was graceful. God just kept extending his hand and extending his hand and extending his hand while he was shamed and disgusted by the sin in the world. And he knew he was going to bring judgment on sin, but he kept offering grace and mercy. And that boy just kept living and he just kept living and he just kept living 969 years. But one day God said, that's enough. And Methuselah died. And just like God said, judgment came. You say, Brother George, I have a hard time believing that all that was wrapped up in the naming of Methuselah. I have a hard time believing that that was wrapped up in this prophecy of Enoch. All right. I understand that. You know how to tell a true prophet from a false prophet? A true prophet's prophecies come true. I'm sure you fellas received the same book that I received 33 years ago. 33 years ago, I did not ask, I didn't request, I didn't send off for this book, but I went to my post office box and there was a book in there that was entitled 88 reasons why Christ is coming in 1988. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but he didn't come in 88. Apparently there was a sequel in 89. 89 reasons why he didn't come in 88. Listen, when I get something like that, it goes in file 13, the garbage can. When somebody tells you they got it all figured out, it's time to start listening to somebody else. You don't know and I don't know. But I know this. We're getting close. And I know this. The sound of the trumpet could be before this day is over. But if it's another thousand years, rather than being critical, we ought to thank God for his long suffering and mercy. You say, is, was all that wrapped up in the naming of Methuselah? All right, let me wrap it up here. Those of you that are note takers, get your pencil and paper ready. Go with me to chapter 5, verse 25. In chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. And Methuselah was 187. When Methuselah was 187, he begot Lamech. Would you write down 187? Now go down to verse 28. In verse 28, it says, Lamech was 182 when he begot a son. And in verse 29, it says, and he called that son, named that son Noah. So if you will add 187 and 182, that's 369. That would be the age of Methuselah when Noah was born. Methuselah was 369 when Noah was born. If, if the judgment of the flood was going to come when Methuselah died, and we know he died at 969, how old would that have made Noah when Methuselah died? 969 minus 369 is 600. So if this prophecy is true, not only would Noah have been 600 when Methuselah died, the flood would have had to have come when Noah was 600, if it's true. Go with me for convenience sake, let's go to 711. Genesis chapter 7 verse 11. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, here's what the word says. In the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where the fountains of the deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. If you don't want to believe that one, back up to verse 6. In verse 6 it says, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. 
when he has come, when he is gone, it will be sent. You see, Noah, not Noah, Enoch, God gave Enoch a prophecy and the judgment of the flood was all wrapped up in the year that Methuselah died. There was one bit of information that God did not give Enoch and that was he didn't tell him how long Methuselah would live. That means he just had to walk with God every day like it would be the last. Folks, none of us know. If we've learned anything in these last two years, we understand how fragile life is. And it doesn't take an assassin's bullet. It doesn't take a few thousand pound vehicle in the interstate. Just something as small as a virus germ. We don't know. But we need, Enoch knew this. I don't know how long Methuselah is going to live. But I got to live every day like it will be the last. You see, the average lifespan for people in Enoch's day was a little over 900. That's a pretty good gene pool. My family don't have those kind of genes. 90 is better than, you know, more likely than 900. But the average lifespan of Enoch's people was a little over 900. If Enoch would have been like a lot of us, at 365, and relatively speaking, at 365, comparatively, Enoch was a young adult. When your relatives are living to be 900, at 365, it's easy to cop an attitude that says, I've got a good 600 years before I need to think about dying. No, we don't know that. We gotta live every day like it might be the last. Enoch walked with God by faith. He walked with God in fellowship but he walked with God in faithfulness. And 365 years, God said, okay, you can come on up with me. Are you walking with God the way you'd want to be walking should this be your last day on this earth? 